Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us. The pandemic is not over, but we've mostly gone back to normal routines. We're spending more time with friends and seeing family members. Some of us have gone back to the workplace, and we're filling in our schedules in every way possible. We've made time for the people in our lives, but what about ourselves? And by that, I mean time truly spent alone with your thoughts. I'm talking about solitude. Carving out a little time in your day for peace and stillness can be beneficial to you and your healthy well-being. And even though the thought of being alone can be scary, you could think of solitude as the one chance in your day to hit the reset button. Today, we're going to talk about solitude and why you should find time to be alone, to be with yourself. I want to hear from you. We're taking phone calls. Is it hard for you to spend time alone? Have you thought about why? Or are you someone who seeks solitude? How has it been beneficial to you? Have you ever been to a retreat by yourself? Tell us about that experience. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000 or call us at 800-242-2828. Tweet me at Angela Davis NPR. I have two great guests joining us today. On the line, we have Tweet V. Nguyen, an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Durham University in Durham, England. Now, that is in the northeastern part of the UK. Tweet V. Researches Solitude and Solo Experiences. And she's also working on a book right now that will be published next year. It's titled Solitude, The Science and Power of Going It Alone. Good morning and welcome to the program, Tweevee. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Hi. Also on the line here in Minnesota, we have Tim Drake. Now, Tim is the executive director of Pacham and Terrace. Now, that is a Minnesota Hermitage Retreat Center there in Isanti County, Isanti, Minnesota, uh, about an hour north of Minneapolis. This is a place where people can go to be alone in silence and solitude. Tim, thank you for joining us. It's a joy to be with you, Angela. Hi. So, Tweevy, I, I want to begin with you as we talk about solitude specifically. This is different than than loneliness. Uh, as you study solitude, I'm first interested in, in why you chose to, to, to dig into that, to, to learn more about solitude. Um, so this started um, when I was in my master program. Um, and so that it's it basically just a out of interest, I just look into the literature. And just like you said, is that um, oftentimes the previous literature, we haven't seen a lot of the portrayals of solitude um, as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. So most of the time um, we see things that, studies that uh, usually find that time alone can be associated with loneliness or even social isolation. So that's when it started piquing my interest because that, probably also because from my personal experience that solitude for me is something that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so it started from there. So I think one of the challenges as I've been reading about this is that there is no clear definition of, of solitude. How do you describe it? Because you say you're someone who, who enjoys solitude. What are we talking about? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so yes, in the um among researchers, you know, there's other solitude researchers as well and we also usually struggle about the definition, how do we define this state? And um so we agree on that is 
the time where people spend time alone, um, not interacting with another person. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about interaction, it's also include not interacting with someone online uh, or, or on the phone. Um, so yeah, so that's 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 how we define the state. And like what you mentioned uh, earlier as well, is this very much conceptually different from loneliness and social isolation. So what what's going on when I do that? If I take time where I'm not talking to someone, I'm not watching uh, or watching some pictures or TV, like what is going on in my body? How do I benefit from that? What do I get out of it? So one of the key benefits of solitude is that it allows space for rest and recharging. So across the world, the survey has reported that like when uh, people were asked about what they do for rest and solitude come as one of the top three activities that people do um, to to rest in their daily life. And, and and that can manifest in different ways for different people. Some also describe it as a space for reflections, for creativity, um, for religious or spiritual pursuits. Um, and many also find solitude best in nature as well. And so it can help me in that if I give myself a rest, it might improve my behavior and therefore my relationships and, and how I interact with people when I'm not in solitude? Yeah, so... It improves our uh, relationship in a way that is allowed us to a, a time, a break in mm-hmm. between social interactions. Um, so it's been shown that when we have a period of solitude in between two social interactions, then our mood is improved in the next social interaction that we engage in. Mm-hmm. So um, in a way, it allows us to kind of just have a time to like, yeah, like what you said, hit the reset button mm-hmm. so we can get ourselves ready for the next thing. Makes sense to me. And and Tim, before we, we get a, a a very detailed description of what happens there at Pachaman Terrace, what do you see as the benefits of practicing solitude? Is this something in your personal life that you've been able to do? It is. I've been uh, practicing solitude for probably about 20 years uh, at regular intervals, usually um, annually, but uh, sometimes depending on the point in life, sometimes a little more or sometimes a little less. Um, but what what we see here at Pachaman Terrace is that uh, guests come here uh, to spend time in silence and solitude for a variety of reasons. Um, like and I wish Why are folks coming um, here? Yeah, so some of the reasons people come, I, we see, I would say, a fair number of caregivers mm. who, um, you know, are just seeking a space where there are no demands on them. Um, we see a lot of educators, a lot of business people who are, you know, tend to be extremely busy and overscheduled, mm-hmm. um, a lot of mothers. Um, it, it really runs the gamut, uh, all ages and uh, ethnicities, um, uh, but they're coming just to uh, have not only that mental break, but also to spend time, uh, many here, because we are a faith-based uh, retreat center, to be alone with God. Now, about, uh, I'm trying to remember, maybe it was 15 years ago, Tim, um, I had an assignment when I was a television reporter. Uh, I, I I went to, to Pachaman Terrace to do a TV report. Uh, I got to see the facilities, the, 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 the space. It was really impressive, but it, it really unnerved me. And I'm like, I don't think I could do this. <laughs> so I, I want to... And why do you say that? Why do you say that? It, it, I was intimidated because I'm going to have you describe what happens when you check in, but it occurred to me, I'm like, I think I do it 
have a problem being by myself. But that was 15 <laughs> years ago. I'm in a much different place now. I, I, have to, I, I probably will ask you about when can I come after we have this conversation. <laughs> but uh, it's anytime. A, so first of all, <laughs> I, I mentioned uh, Isante I is about a north, an hour north of Minneapolis. But tell us yes. about uh, Pachamon Terrace. And first of all, what does that those words mean? What does that mean? Yeah, Pachamon Terrace is simply Latin for peace on earth. Mm -hmm. And we are a hermitage retreat center, which means that um, we have uh, 19 uh, individual cabins, if you will, prayer cabins that are located on 240 acres of woodlands, prairie. Mm -hmm. There's a wilderness lake, um, some wetlands. It's a, a, a very beautiful property. It is. And um, guests come and they... Uh, they check in and they are brought to their hermitage. And most, I would say, uh, spend an average of two or three nights uh, when they stay. But there are others who um, maybe have had more practice, if you will, um, who will come for longer periods of time. In fact, there's probably about a dozen who have come for up to 30 days. Um, oh, my. Uh, now, yeah. <laughs> what I remember about the check-in process, Tim, though, you leave everything, like your phone, your, I mean, you're limited in what you can take to your individual cabin, right? Well, that's not necessarily the case. And the reason I say that, Angela, is that um, Pacham is about freedom. Um, it's a big buzzword for us. And I, I know that in the research on um, solitude, that it has to be a choice that's freely taken. Okay. Um, you're not forced into solitude. And so when guests come, we, we certainly recommend that it's, they'll probably have a better experience if they set aside their devices <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or if they leave them in the car. Many people, when they check in, will just leave them with us up the front in our desk. office. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's not something that we demand of them. Uh, it's we're simply just giving them that that free choice to make that because it will give them a better experience. So what do they do all day and all evening? What <laughs> what typically happens? Like how do you spend your time? Yeah, well, you know, I think there's a, a problem in our our culture where we feel that to be productive we have to be doing something, and mm. we have to remember that we are human beings and not human doings. And so, uh, what we usually suggest to folks is that. Actually, when many arrive, the first thing that many do is they take a nap uh, because mm. we mm -hmm. live such busy, structured lives that once they get into a space where there are no demands on them, um, they can truly rest. And we call that holy rest. And it's not uncommon for guests to tell us that they sleep for 10, 12, 14 hours. Mm. Um, and in fact, we encourage that when, when folks first get here so that they can be well rested. Uh, that's just your body telling you that that's what you need. Mm -hmm. um, but we also tell them, you know, uh, just sort of rely, uh, you know, if, if you're a person of faith, rely on the Holy Spirit because uh, the Holy Spirit will guide you in terms of what to do while you're here so that you're able to walk the paths if you want to walk the paths. Or just sit in the uh, the rocking chair and watch the beauty of nature and uh, the animals uh, in the woods. Um, and do you still? Was, I remember with meals there was a, a a basket, like a basket with bread and a few right. fruits that that you all give the guests. Yeah, we provide a, a food basket for every mm -hmm. guest, and that can be replenished during their stay. That includes a homemade bread that we make here on the premises and uh, a homemade date nut muffin, which are very popular with our guests. Um, some uh, fruit, some Wisconsin 
cheddar cheese, and then we also provide <laughs> three jugs of water. So that we provide that. Guests can certainly uh, bring uh, supplement that if they have other dietary needs. All right. So Tim, tell me about the checkout. So how do people describe the experience? What feedback do you get? I've read that people mm. write letters to you often to describing because a lot of folks will write while they're sitting in that in that cabin. What do they say about it? Yeah, a lot of guests will uh, journal during their time. And we do receive a fair number of uh, notes from hermit guests. Uh, we call those our spiritual paychecks um, because they really are quite, uh, many of them are quite moving and many tell quite incredible stories of what happens while they're here. Um, they, um, I, what I wish I could do, of course, we can't, we can't do this and we can't do it on radio, but I wish that we could take a photo of our guests when they arrive and then when they depart, because mm. uh, what you see on their faces when they arrive is often, um, they often look haggard, um, stressed, uh, weary, scattered, um, distressed, you know. Um, and when they leave, um, they are very often filled with joy or delight, or they have uh, maybe a greater sense of calm or are refreshed and ready to go back into their spheres of influence and, uh, and carry out the tasks of the day, you know. But um, I, so that's I wish that we could take photos. Um, you might be able to ask people uh, to volunteer to do that. <laughs> yeah, but as, as you describe yeah. that, I think I see that in my own like vacation photos. If I look at pictures of oh, like sure. day one after the travel and the you know the flight and checking in, and I that first picture, and then a photo of what I look like at the end of a vacation, I can see a difference. So what is yeah. what is that? Do you think are people basically they're they're recharged? Right? This is what we're talking about. What solitude can do? Yeah, I think it's that, but I think it it goes uh, deeper because when you and perhaps uh, Dr. Wynn could talk to this a little bit about um, that when you take time to be with yourself, um, it's, it isn't always a vacation. Sometimes there's some work involved <laughs> mm. because you're, you're faced with yourself and your own uh, insecurities and imperfections. Um, so there's, there is some, some work sometimes that you have to do. But I think it allows us to go uh, deeper into understanding ourselves and also understanding how we interact with others. And I think it also gives us a greater capacity to understand others and to be compassionate towards others. A lot of things about solitude, I think, are kind of paradoxical or counterintuitive, um, you know, to say that going and practicing solitude somehow benefits us uh, in how we relate with others on the surface maybe doesn't make sense, but uh, the research certainly bears it out. Uh, Tweeby, let's t talk about what you've heard. This description description of, of Pacham and Terrace. First, what do you think about that, a, a retreat like this? Oh, that's, that's amazing. That sounds amazing. Um, kind of remind me of that time where my mom was going through a hard time after a grandparent, a grandfather's passing, and um, we. I also took her to a retreat in uh, Rochester, New York, upstate New York, mm -hmm. and she had a great time there. And yeah, so I, um, a lot of things that have been shared, I, I, I think is really consistent with what the research and what has been shown. Mm -hmm. um, so when um, Tim was talking about the the 
what is it about solitude that help us then later connect with other people? I think, and he was right there. Is that like this? This it can be challenging. Um, many people actually. So in the literature, we call that unstructured solitude. So the the experience during the retreat when we don't have to do the activities that we used to during um, our normal life, mm-hmm. um, and devices are removed. Um, so that a lot of people find that unstructured solitude challenging because uh, it can be filled with thoughts, you know. Um, and of course that, you know, we usually, when we think about thoughts, some of it can be like very enriching self-reflection and self-discovery, but it can also be challenging thoughts. Um, and uh, there are they're also, also researchers that study ruminative thoughts, so the, the kind of negative thoughts that keep coming back again and again, and there's no resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so there's, there's work that people need to do during that time. And What do you um, mean the work so, we need to do? Maybe that you recognize there's a characteristic about yourself that is not desirable, yeah. that, that maybe you can, you have the power to change. Um, yes, so um, there's might be things that people think of is negative ab- uh, self evolution, uh, so, um, evaluations. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be some failures, mistakes in the past. Um, something that there might just be things that c- could not be changed. Um, so if things that people can work through and create changes, I think that's great. But there are times, like, for example, in our research, when we interview, um, you know, older adults, um, sometimes it's just a sense of acceptance that people can gain through solitude. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's, you know, so... That's powerful. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, let's take some phone calls. Uh, we're talking uh, about solitude and what the benefits of, of, of solitude. We're talking about choosing to spend some time alone. Have you thought about doing that or do you do that? What have you found to be the benefits of deliberately taking some time across the day or maybe once a week? I mean, there's no definitions to how, how often you should do this. But what have you seen when you have spent some time alone with your thoughts? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. We're talking with a researcher in the UK who studies solitude as well as the director of a retreat center here in Minnesota where people choose to be alone uh, in small cabins out in the woods. In, and the number to call is 651 651- Two two seven six thousand. Okay, let's talk to some listeners in Minneapolis. Michael's on the phone. Michael, thank you for being patient and waiting. And what do you want to share as we talk about solitude? Good morning, Angela. Hey. Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you to you and your guests for um, you as and NPR, especially and your producers for being a spearhead for for hope in the community. Um, thank you. And having having said that, I got to that point because I'm sitting here alone. I'm a septuagenarian. And I've spent um, decades alone. Uh, but most of that time was spent uh, in fear and anxiety and, t- and breathing as though I were about to take my last breath. And I, 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 I was disempowered uh, living how I lived and in the, in the society that we live in. It's very difficult to feel empowered at any time. And so uh, what I used to do is either have the TV on or the radio on or whatever would keep me busy so that I wouldn't feel so alone because the voice or voices that I listen to 
um, could only make could only diminish me. Um, and as a result of being a septuagenarian and the, uh, having to pay the costs of of uh, uh, life, I uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time very much in solitude the last five six years, and I've begun to make conscious choices in that solitude. Um, because they were so limited, and, and it made it easier for me then to choose and then to try and take action on it. And, and one of the things that occurred for me was I began to realize how I scoff at uh, events and actions like you guys are doing today, because I, the Trump in me would say, um, well, everybody knows this. This has been going on for years, decades, generations. When, in fact, just because I have some knowledge of it doesn't mean that everybody knows it. And and we, if we are a wise society, renew our education of everyone. And and it, and it seems to me that you have found some people and, and given such a wonderful um, interview so far, and I'm sure it will continue. M- Michael, um, quick question. Bring that out. I have a quick question for you. What did you learn uh, in solitude? What changed your your viewpoint of the world and of your of yourself? It sounds uh, like first. Of, well, first of all, I learned how to breathe, and thank you for getting me back on track. Um, I I learned how to breathe rather than my last breath. I learned to take an eternal breath, to breathe in, regardless of whether I where I am, whether I'm out in nature, which I prefer to be, or in my apartment in town and otherwise cut off from everybody, um, to breathe my connection to life and to, to sit with that and be part of it and to recognize that um, there is something that can come out of that breath that can be different and more imaginative, more it, creative. It sounds like gratitude also, Michael. And, and I'm certainly grateful for that, just as I'm grateful for you and, and what you're doing. Well, Michael, I want to get in some, some more. I, I want to get some more listeners in. Michael, thank you so much. That's Michael in Minneapolis talking about uh, learning to be alone. Let's talk uh, to a caller in, in Burnsville. This is Jeremy. Jeremy, what do you want to tell us as we talk about solitude? Well, first, I want to, uh, of course, thank you, like Michael did. This is a, a great conversation, and um, it, it's got me reflecting a lot. And it, it's interesting because I grew up uh, an only child in a latchkey home. And um, so solitude was kind of forced on me at an early age, which means that I'm really comfortable being alone and Mm -hmm. um, have been over the years. But, but with that, and and this is something I'm interested in hearing um, uh, Dr. Wynn address maybe is first recognizing that in order to appreciate solitude, we have to be, I think in a better mental state, right? If, if COVID has taught us anything that mental health is, is um, a very slippery slope to slide down and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. trying to approach ideas of solitude. I I, um, heard an interview with Stephen Batchelor. He's a Scottish author, a former Buddhist um, priest um, who uh, has written a couple of books on, on solitude, uh, the Art of Solitude, I think, being the last one. I heard him on on Being with Krista Tippett uh, a couple of years ago, and or last year. And um, it's really interesting because I want to embrace that idea of learning how to be at peace in solitude. And 
Um, my mental health background has a good amount of depression and ADHD. So that solitude can easily turn into loneliness. And like, I'm a, a father of two young kids, uh, one of whom is on the autism spectrum and, and can't function um, in normal society. So I've ended up having to quit my full-time job to stay at home. And anyway, it's... it's so Jeremy, um, how, how do you find time to practice solitude? What are you doing? Taking small walks or just having time early in the morning or late at night to just be alone and sit in stillness? What do you do? Well, so that's just it. I think the best thing for me is actually getting out and, and exercising, either being out in nature, uh, getting the dog outside, um, going to the gym, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even then, when you talk about solitude and, and we talk about disconnecting entirely, I'm still, like Michael, I'm, I'm feeding stuff into my ears. I'm listening to you I'm, uh, or <laughs> other programs. And, and um, but that's, keeping me from digging into that loneliness aspect, right? So it's solitude without the loneliness. Mm -hmm. And um, what I shared with uh, the the screener was that I recently had to take a trip. (laughs) My wife made me take a solo trip uh, because traveling as a family is too difficult. So I I got to go to the Southwest and spend a week um, hitting all the national parks that I could. Good life. She said, go by yourself. (laughs) Yeah, well, and, but that's a real challenge for me too, because Mm -hmm. it, it, while there, I'm doing all these wonderful things that I know I could not do with my family. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and feeling that gratitude for just everything around us and and all the stuff that I hadn't seen and it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And not having the ability to share it with the people that mean something to me made it a real struggle. So it's that dichotomy of, loneliness and solitude that can be really hard to separate. And I'm well, Jeremy, I want yeah, to hear what um, um, our researcher has to say about this. Uh, Tweevy uh, uh, Wynn, who is with us there in the UK, who um, is a psychologist. Uh, what do you hear and what he's describing, Tweevy? Yeah, what I hear is I think um, one of the things that really stuck out to me is the idea that um, we tend to think that when we seek solitude, we need to feel completely cut off from the world. Mm-hmm. And actually, the research would say the opposite, um, that solitude is better when we have people in our life whom we know that will have our back when we need them. So actually, that time spent alone um, is um, associated with more positive emotions when people also describe their relationship as you know positive and high quality. So it sounds to me that um, if your wife support you to go on that solo trip <laughs> and then you also have your two kids that you think about, maybe time spent alone can be the opportunity. And it's, it sounds to me that you really value your time with them and your relationship with yes. them. Mm-hmm. So then we can spend the time alone cherishing the memory and the thoughts of them um, so that they can actually be with us even when we are in solitude. So he can, so, yeah. he can refuel, recharge, so that when he comes back, he can be more present and and, yeah. and be, you know, a, a better companion and a better dad. Um, yeah. And what about you, Tim? What do you hear and what Jeremy described? Well, there were a couple of things that um, stuck out with me, not with uh, both with Jeremy and, and, Michael. What Ma- mm-hmm. and Michael had said, because Michael talked about knowledge mm-hmm. and there's a, <laughs> I think, I think there's a, a danger in that if we try to pursue solitude 
um, the way we pursue, say, some other academic pursuit, say geometry or something, um, it's uh, it it again it, solitude. It's kind of counterintuitive because we as humans desire to be uh, sort of authoritative and have this control over everything, and yet in going into a, a hermitage or a time of solitude, you have to kind of surrender or let go. And that's kind of accepting that you may not know everything. You may um, not be in control of everything. <laughs> exactly. Right? And so that, so I just, I caution against just um, that we pursue it um, as sort of uh, something we acquire knowledge in versus actually doing it or practicing it. But then on the second, to speak to Jeremy's point, which I think is, is very valid, is that there are times or seasons in life where solitude may not be necessarily a good thing, or it could actually even be harmful. And I, I think it, uh, his name, I think it's a developmental psychologist by the name of Kenneth Rubin, who uh, talks about these necessary ifs mm-hmm. that should be in place for solitude to be productive. Um, and those are... It sh- it should be you know done out of one's free will. It um, the person should have the ability to effectively regulate their emotions. Um, they should have the ability to join a social network uh, upon desire, and also they have to be able to maintain positive relationships outside of the individual pursuit of solitude. So. He states that if all of those conditions are present, then solitude can be productive. But Dr. Wynn may be able to uh, speak yeah, I, to that more I'm, effectively. I want to talk about the steps and how to approach this. But, but, but first, a couple of things I have to do. I have to take a news break. But I also want to take this next phone call because I, I want to make sure we don't uh, to lose her, that she doesn't have to hang up uh, before we go to news. But we, I do want to get into like the steps and getting educated about solitude. Uh, on the line, we have Ion, who's calling in from Bloomington. And Ion, I see in my note here that you have five young children. Yes. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate hi. it. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a busy mom. Uh, five kids under the age of ten, all you know, school and a toddler, the youngest. So, uh, as a mom, um, in busy household, I think, and, and you know, practicing Muslim, solitude is a very uh, uh, important, valuable core in our religion to constantly uh, reflect on your life and where you're going in your life, and that this life is is you know, a passing, you know, it's, it's temporary. It's not a permanent um, place for, for you, for us, you know, human beings. So I, I learned, you know, uh, as a busy mom to take time for myself and recently implemented just solid, you know, taking time somewhere in a quiet place in my home and just sitting, facing, you know, uh, where we pray and just really reflecting uh, and, you know, giving gratitude to God. And what happened, you know, during the day, like I would say, prayers, you know, I would say, thank you for this. Thank you for this. Oh, God, you know, thank you for just what happened in the day. Small, little, tiny things. I make sure I I give thanks, you know, I give thanks to God, my creator. And so that really helped reduce my stress level and, and, you know, um, any worries or stress that we usually have, you know, as as people. And so every day I remember to just sit and, and reflect and give gratitude 
and we would say, you know, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, repeat. And, and I, would, I would say, you know, um, thank you, uh, God, uh, for this and for this and for this. You know, even if I get left the house happy or smiling or <laughs> and, if we had breakfast. And I am, little things I remember, I make sure to remember. With, give, uh, with five kids, uh, 10 and younger, when are you doing this? Early in the morning or across the day or how many so minutes a day do you think? Yeah, so when they leave for school, uh-huh. uh, usually when I have my breakfast, I would my coffee, and I would just keep, make sure I have at least thirty minutes quiet time to myself mm. and reflect, just reflect on life and reflect on mm-hmm. the small tiny things that we we you know sometimes overlook and we take it for granted. You know, I'm grateful that my kids are healthy. Grateful that we woke up, you know, in a healthy in a healthy uh, stage, and we're mm-hmm. grateful for. Uh, have you know living in a house and not outside the cold and just small mm-hmm. little tiny things that we don't really think about and that really in- improved my just my mood you know my mood I would once I started doing this just taking time to intentionally reflecting you have right. to be intentional about it. Well, Ayan uh, calling in from Bloomington, the mother of five young kids. Uh, thank you for for uh, sharing your story with us in St. Paul. Kay is joining us. Hey Kay, thank you for waiting. And what did you want to tell us? Yes, good morning. Hi. Thank you to all of you for uh, for this program and your input. Um, I, I think it's a wonderful topic, um, solitude, because I think it's something we don't usually think about. Um, I find for myself, and I've, I've been to Pacham several times. It's been a few years, but... Several uh, was times? Wonderful... What was it like? Pardon? What was it like? You've it been several one... times. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. Uh, one time I was uh, out in uh, one of the, the hermitages, and um, it was wonderful to open the curtains in the morning and look out and see the beauty of nature, which is healing in itself, uh, to be able to sit out on the screened porch. Um, uh, one time I went in summer, one time I went in winter, um, and it was just nice to be quiet, uh, to learn to listen, not only to myself, um, but to God. And I think it was the first person that called in, talked about, uh, or one of the people talked about breathing mm-hmm. and the importance of breathing. And there's a place in the scriptures where it talks about there was a mighty storm and there was a fire, and God was not in those things. But the prophet heard God in a quiet breeze, a still, small breeze or, or voice. And I found that when I spend time alone, uh, it inevitably is with the Lord. And there are times when I feel him blow on my face. Uh, there are times when I see the wind blowing in the trees. And the Holy Spirit is often referred to as wind. Um, so there's something very find, powerful about uh, being in nature and and that 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 quiet and that stillness that helped you. There is, and learning to listen, mm-hmm. learning to listen, and I find there are so many voices vying for our attention. You know, voices in the media, and uh, I was on break there, and I could hear all the things going on in the news, and a lot of them were really difficult. And we're living in difficult times. Mm-hmm. And but you were listening find, to yourself when you were in solitude. You were listening to your own voice. Well, and I was listening for the voice of God, because 
uh, scripture says, my sheep hear my voice. And, and I believe we can hear God speak. Uh, and, Thank you. That, and that's always, Kate in St. Paul. I've got lots of other folks on the line I want to get to. In Victoria, Tom is on the line. Tom, what do you want to tell us about solitude? Well, I first want to just greet you, Angela. Um, Fifteen years ago or so, when you went up to do the, um, you know, the interview, Shirley, and uh, you interviewed a couple of hermits. I was I was one of the two hermits that you interviewed. Oh, so nice. did you see the expression on my face when I was there touring? <laughs> did I look unnerved? <laughs> but um, so I just want to share with you uh, just a couple of things. Um, one is the uh, gentleman, I think it was Jeremy. He, I really liked what he had to say when he, especially when he got away to the uh, Southwest. He said that he thought he needed to be in a good place to appreciate solitude. Mm-hmm. And my experience um, is is almost opposite of that. My over the years going to uh, Pacham, as I've gone in great turmoil. My first wife was quite ill uh, for 17 years before she passed away five years ago, mm-hmm. and I found going to uh, Pacham actually became like an anchor for me. I was there for the reason that Pachin was created, and that was to create a place for my people to be alone with me. Um, uh, That was uh, kind of the vision that Shirley had. And I found, I have found going there, especially when I have a lot of turmoil, is is a real calming um, experience for me. It's being alone with God. Jesus modeled that, and um, it actually... um, brought great peace in the midst of uh, a real uh, detailed and, and deep caretaking that I was involved with. Tom, were, you, were you able to sleep? Tim says uh, a lot of people say they just sleep for, you know, several hours when they check in. And, yeah, and... I've had that. Uh, I've had the long 12 and 13 hour sleeps. But the mm. one I want to share with you very briefly is I have gone to Pacham and done what Tim talked about, and that's to lay down and take a nap. And I know when I arrived at Pachum, say it was three in the afternoon, and after someone would bring me out or, or I would walk out to the Hermitage, and so I had a sense it was about 3.30 or so, and I would, I would lay down, and I felt like when I woke up, I'd been sleeping for four or five hours, only to look at the clock in the closet, the little alarm clock, and find out I'd been sleeping for about 20 minutes. But that hmm. deep REM sleep would come to me, and I would really be refreshed so that when I would go on the walk and maybe go out to the boardwalk or walk through the trails, I was so alert. And um, the the sleep there, it, it is a holy rest that Tim referred to. Mm. Thank you. That's Tom in Victoria. Uh, Tweevy, I, I want to ask you this, this concept of, of us maybe not realizing how tired we are because we're co- constantly moving and doing things. Is that surprising to you? Or did you find that in some of your studies that, that people uh, in solitude will often just be able to sleep better? Well, that's something that um, we haven't looked at, actually, and that's kind of really interesting to hear from others about how sleep coming to a picture is. Um, but I do think that the, 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 the sense of rest and calm um, that we can find in solitude, it can facilitate that because there has been literature talking about how when we have a day that just kind of very hectic, Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for people to fall asleep because it's all, right. you know, all these things come back when you're lying down and it's just like all these, it's become all these thoughts. Um, but yeah, so, so it's very interesting to hear. Yeah. And, and, and Tim, as you hear from people who've spent time, maybe one night, two nights, or who have returned to Pachaman Terrace, uh, what, what does that say to you about the impact that, that, that 
this can have on someone, just having a, a time during a difficult time in life just to take a break, whether it's one day or two days, and what it helps people do when they return to their routines. How does it feel to hear from folks who stayed there? Oh, well, I mean, I find it pretty motivating uh, to continue to do what we do here at Pacham. What uh, Tom, and I recognized his voice uh, because, and he failed to say, is that he has been a hermit guest here, I believe, 89 times. Oh, man. Um, and he comes uh, every every couple of months. And um, I, I just find it heartening that uh, that people continue to come to Pacham um, or, you know, just in general that people are taking time for solitude because I think for our overall health and well-being, our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being, um, it, it is um, it is a good thing for us to do. <laughs> and, and it is something that we should do as part of a sort of a healthy rhythm of life. And the cost of staying there, it's it's by donations. Is that correct? Yeah, so we are a Minnesota nonprofit, and the way that Shirley established Pacham, uh, we certainly have a cost. Tell us uh, about the founder, her last name. Yes, that's Shirley Wanchina, and uh, she had lost her husband at the age of 49, Mm -hmm. and uh, in prayer discerned uh, that God was asking her to create a place where people could come and be alone with God, and that is our foundation and it has remained our mission from the beginning uh, 35 years ago. Um, so our, our cost uh, is <laughs> realistically between 115 and 160, I would say, per night. Um, but we tell guests uh, to prayerfully consider what they are able to donate mm-hmm. towards their stay, um, realizing that we are a nonprofit and that we have bills to pay like any other um, organization. And many guests will pay more and others will pay less. And we just, we, mm-hmm. in a sense, leave that up to to God who provides for this place. Well, Tweeby, I, I promised folks I would help with some steps. So if someone's hearing this, I'm like, okay, I need to maybe try to incorporate solitude into my day. Any advice on how do you, you know, what's what are the first steps? Like, as you think about this, what would work? What would you suggest to folks? So I would I would say start with reframing our attitude towards solitude, because I know that, like, you know, some of us have called in, um, have expressed about how, you know, it can be something challenging, but others, it seems like it's something that they have successfully incorporated into their life. Um, But I think it's good to also remind ourselves that, you know, we can reframe it for ourselves, because sometimes societal norms can make it sound, depending on what backgrounds and cultures or upbringings that you come from, um, it might tell us that solitude is lonely or isolating, so we can reframe it to ourselves, and I hope the program today will help with that. Um, so we can start with that, and um, and I think it's good to also start small, you know, at least because um, when I told my family that I do research on this, my mom also asked, like, but it can be very challenging for me. So I would just say start with, five, 15 minutes a day and see how it feels and then just go from there. And also the idea that, you know, many people like Michael and Jeremy has um, have shared is that, yes, there would be time where it's very difficult, um, time where we don't have any, when our solitude is unstructured. So usually that is the time when we don't have 
something to do, um, then if that's not for you, then I would say things of some activities that you enjoy to fill that time. Um, it might be some people have expressed that um, things like can help them express themselves like painting or singing mm-hmm. um, or something that might make you feel good, like taking a walk or exercising or many people at Corin talk about how that's the time for them to connect to uh, their gods. And I think that, you know, things of what are kind of activities that you would enjoy when so you're by yourself. Don't yeah. uh, underestimate the value of doing those little things. And uh, Tweety, I should yep. mention, you have a website. Uh, I have it here in my notes as solitude-lab.com. Solitude-lab.com. And that has some resources that people can, can read and, and get some advice. Uh, Tim, before we go, uh, any final remarks to to encourage people to you know recognize the value of of spending time with your own thoughts? Yeah, Angela, I, I like what Doctor Wynn said about um, starting small. Um, I think solitude has gotten a really bad rap, <laughs> and uh, if we think about, I, I like also that uh, she mentioned uh, art or music because mm-hmm. in art, um, white space is important, and in mm-hmm. music. The pause is important. Yeah. And so taking time for solitude is like that. It's, it's taking that pause, you know, rather than filling our lives with continuous auditory and digital noise and surrounding ourselves with people constantly. I think in that, uh, allowing ourselves to go into the desert, uh, allows us to, um, connect not only with ourselves, but our creator and, uh, in whatever way people can do that, I would encourage mm-hmm. that. All right. Well, our, our time is up for today. Uh, thank you so much to our guests and also to our listeners. You guys are wonderful. Thank you for sharing your personal stories. I appreciate it. Uh, we've been talking with Tweedy Nguyen, an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Durham University in the UK, who researches solitude and solo experiences. And also Tim Drake, the executive director at Pacham and Terrace there in Isanti, Minnesota, a retreat center. This, is, this conversation today was produced by Matt Alvarez. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.